Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are If you're taking notes, go ahead and, and, and write this down, and we're going to get into some stuff today, some stuff that we know it's... Uh, continue to bless you and speak to you in regards to where we were at last week. And um, as you saw that there um, on the screen, uh, what, what a beautiful thing um, to be speaking about the temple. And here we see uh, the video. And, and amen, we're talking about the house that God builds. And, and write that down, the house that God builds. And this is the second part of our, uh, of our message from coming in from last week. Last week, part one was David. How many of you remember that? And this week, part two, it's, we're going to deal with Solomon in regards, in regards to the house that God builds. Um, what a journey. What a journey uh, through this first erected temple that is offered to the Lord, as we know it as Solomon's temple. And um, last week, we had the opportunity to study through First Chronicles chapter 17, and we just... Uh, sat there and, and we spent some time in that text and we got to see the heart of God. We, we, got, we got to see it in regards to David and David's preparation for the temple. And we saw the heart of God in regards to uh, the future temple that was to be built, as you saw this uh, somewhat of a replica there of it. So if you have not listened to, to last week's message as we were speaking about uh, the temple and the house of the Lord and the desire that David had, uh, please, you, I, I ask you, you must listen to last week's message. Uh, I, I, maybe you're here today and like, okay, I jumped into this one, but sometime today or sometime early this upcoming week, uh, take time and listen to it. Listen to last week's message. It's not hard to find. The house that God builds, part one. And today we're going to continue this as we speak on Solomon. And God's approval of Solomon to build the temple, to build the house. And we learned as, uh, this last week, and it's very important, that after all of his wars were over, after all of the fighting in David's life was done, he wanted to accomplish the one thing, this one thing that he desired. And the one thing that David wanted to accomplish was to build a house for my Lord. Remember that from last week? I could just build a house for the Lord. And we learned quickly that the Lord's reply back to David was no. Have you ever prayed to the Lord, desired something to do for the Lord, and the Lord just comes back to you and says no? Isn't it the best feeling? <laughs> he just says no. Not a yes, not let me think about it, or let's take some time for it. He just comes at you and says, I know you've been praying for this. I know you've been longing for this. I know you have a whole prayer chain of people that are, that are asking in my behalf. I've heard them all. But the answer is a simple no. I wonder if you've ever been there. Always fun. But he says to him no. And you think that David could have been crushed. You think that David could have gotten hurt. Like we do so often, speaking to myself, turn bitter. Turn our back on God. Get mad at God. Yes, because he didn't give me the answer that I wanted. I've been there. I have been there. Lord, how dare you not want to do this? It would be so amazing if you did this. Think about how I can give you glory and honor. Think about the things that I can do for you. If you could just do this and come through with this prayer. And the Lord's like, no. Imagine David's desire to build. It's for you, God. It's your house I'm trying to build. And the Lord says, no. Whenever the Lord says no, and though you might think that there should be a yes there, don't think for once that the Lord doesn't have a plan and a purpose. There is something there that is part of his will that comes after that no that he wants to do in your life. Because at the end, you are his son and his daughter. Amen? So he knows what he's doing. And trust me, we're, we've, we're, we've learned or we're learning this. Maybe it's the hard way, but we're learning it. I've been there. And he says, no, you won't build me a house. What does he tell David instead, though? This is the beauty. I'm going to do something different. I know you want to build me a house. The answer is no. And then he tells David, but I will build 
you a house. Please, I'm, I'm going to say this like five more times. So, so this will be number, number one. Ready? Please listen to last week's message to get a full understanding of where we're at. That house, I'm going to build a house in you, David, was so important. It was so important because David wanted to build a structure and God wanted to build people. And he said, from you will come a dynasty of kings. And we know that eventually that house that we're speaking of, of David, it led to Christ. It led to Jesus born. He comes from the lineage of David. And to this day and forevermore, there will always be one from the house of David that sits on the throne. I, I think about the millennial kingdom. If you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a time that will come. A thousand year reign on this earth, a millennial kingdom. Sometime after the seven year tribulation will come this millennial kingdom and Christ will establish a kingdom here on earth called the millennial kingdom. As this kingdom gets established here, I started to think about this as I was thinking about a throne. There will be one that reigns over the nations and they will cry out to him, son of David, the Lord Messiah, Christ Jesus. Amen. That will be his name. I picture from the millennial kingdom, I think about the eternal kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. How many of you think about that constantly? I do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I just can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see how it looks like. I can't wait to see what it sounds like, what it smells like. I can't wait to walk on streets of gold. Anyone with me? I can't wait to see the angels and the elders. I can't wait to see Christ and just... Stay paralyzed at his feet in tears. I just can't wait for all these things. It's going to be a day where I'm like, I'm here. I've made it. I'm making it. Don't get me wrong. How many of you are making it? We're making it. But on that day, I'm going to say, I've made it. I mean, I, how many of us are being, uh, are, are being made perfect? On that day, we're going to say, we are perfect. Perfection hits that day. We're not perfect today, but we're being made into perfection. And on that day, it's perfection. And we'll look at each other at the feet of all of us. are going to be winking at each other with tears and giving thumbs up. And if we can even move from the glory of the Lord that sits on us, we'll try to give each other high fives. But we will all be prostrated at the presence of the Lord in his throne where there will be thunderings and lightnings. I mean, God, I want to get there. I picture the eternal kingdom now that I painted it a little bit. And the new Jerusalem specifically. And all the saints that are worshiping and that are living out in his glory. Nations that are entering from the new earth. And they're coming to give honor to worship the one who sits on the throne. Surrounded by angels in glory and majesty. The son of David, risen one in all power, might and holiness. Guess what? It's Jesus Christ our Lord. I can't stress this enough. I think this is like number two or three. You need to listen to last week's message. Amen? This is the house that God builds. And the Lord builds a house through David. And we see it in the millennial. We'll see it for millenniums. And we'll see it for eternity to come. That Christ still sits on his throne. And one of his names is the son of David. And don't ever forget that. Amen? David now, it's... He, as we learned last week, he takes on this responsibility as we speak about the house that God is building. And his responsibility is specific and it's to prepare. Everyone say prepare. How many of you like to prepare for a trip? Hate it. Three of you said you liked it. I can't stand, just get me there. We, we went out the other day and, and I'm, just, I'm just bad at certain things. It's like, just get me there or tell me what to do. Okay, I've been married long enough to do this already. To come to my wife after I get dressed and says, am I okay? <laughs> just tell me. It would be even better if she could just have it out and just say, here, just wear this tomorrow. <laughs> just, just, I'll be there. Just tell me what time. You want something, tell me exactly what you want. Tell me what shelf. Tell me what aisle. Tell me every detail and I, it won't make it happen. I, 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 but the preparing part, I just don't do good with it. And here we are on earth, and what has God called us to do? That one thing that, uh, it's to prepare. <laughs> but he takes on the responsibility to prepare, and his was to prepare for the temple. And what's beautiful about David is he honors that, that season of preparation. 
And then Solomon comes in after. King Solomon, his son, would come in as king. And his son would now take on the responsibility not to prepare, but as we will see now, his responsibility is to build upon what his father has prepared. I hope I'm preparing something that my children could build on that. If not, I'm going to... I'm going to be on my bed on that last day, maybe with some of you right next to me, and say I failed as a father if my children have nothing to build on what I've prepared for them. So here's a little bit on Solomon as he gets ready to build on what's been prepared. Solomon, for you all that do not know, he's about 20 years old. 20 years old when he becomes king and he begins to reign over the kingdom of Israel. At this moment, it will be the most powerful kingdom on earth. Solomon would become the most powerful man on earth. Kings and queens would come on voyages just to sit at his court and hear him teach. Solomon was about 20 years old when this began. And he begins to construct. I don't want to get so deep into all these things of Solomon, but I want to, stay, I want to try to keep my eyes focused on the temple and in regards to Solomon's relationship to the temple. And by the time this temple begins to uh, be constructed and it finishes he's now about 31 32 years old and it's time to do the dedication of the temple to the lord he's now in his early 30s so we know that solomon reigned for 40 years that means he died at 60 years old due to natural causes so here is solomon and he as we study him in scripture would be the last ruler the last ruler of a united kingdom in Israel. He began, if you've ever studied or you know anything of the life of Solomon, I said this during our 930 huddle, he began his race well, but he didn't finish well. In, in, our, in our gatherings here and in this family, we always speak on amen. It's important to start. But perseverance is very important. What good is starting if there is no plan to finish? The most important thing that a believer can do is not start. The most important thing that a believer can do is finish. We want to finish. We want to look forward and put our eyes on the goal, on the upward prize, as Paul says. We want to finish the race. We want to finish the fight, the good fight that he's put us in. How many of you can say amen? So here is Solomon. He starts well, but does not finish. He he opens up his life to sin. He begins to open up his life to women and to other women and <clears throat> that God told him to stay away from. They began to introduce him to false gods and the power of woman over a man. He begins to serve false gods. Not only does he serve false gods, he makes this beautiful temple for the Lord, but then he starts to make other erected temples around Israel to worship these other gods. Can you imagine... Saying, the Lord, I set a temple in the center of my heart. But on the right corner, I have a temple for another God. On the lower east, I have another temple for another God. If you go deep west into my heart, there's another temple for another God. I hope that as you're in the center, you can also honor all the other gods that are in my heart. How do you all feel about that? How dare he, huh? Who would do such a thing? I mean, come on. He sounds a lot like many of us. When we build the house of God, the Lord lives in my heart. Yeah, him and many other lovers. Right? We've been there. Where he's the lover of our life. But we share him with other lovers, with other gods. And we put other things before him. It's the same thing that Solomon did in a sense. So what does he do? He opens up his life. And ultimately, I would say the issue is pride and all of that stuff. And he's living in disobedience to the Lord. And the Lord, in consequence of Solomon, the Lord would now rip Israel and divide it into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdoms. We would know them later on as the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. So now Solomon's children's children would never be able to reign as David reigned, but there was a promise that God gave them that there will always be one of yours that sits on the throne. But yet the Lord had to strip the kingdom from them. Now, there's so much that we could dive into in some of that summary that we could be here for ages.
But I want to stay focused, like I told you, on that one thing. So in his earlier and in his better years, let's talk about those better years of Solomon. Let's not get so sour over here and talk about his negative years. But on his, but there's a lot to learn in that. I don't want to ignore that. But in his better earlier years, Solomon did have a desire. And he had a desire as his father before him had, which was David, King David. And that was to build a temple, a house of the Lord to dwell among his people. Everyone is with me so far. Who are we speaking about? All right, everyone's on it. King Solomon. And I think about this and I say, well, why did Solomon have such a desire to build a house for the Lord? I think it's because, or I believe it's because David was always speaking of it. Wherever David was at, he was talking, he was preparing. Solomon was part of the campaigns to raise money and to bring in the money and to bring in the gold and the silver and the wood and the store places. Solomon was part of that. And, and Solomon knew his dad's heart was to build a house for the Lord. So as Solomon grew up under his father's household, and now he's in his 20 and he, he's 20 years old or whatnot, and he's about to become the king, his heart is on fire for what was on fire in his dad's heart. And it was like, I want to build what daddy always wanted to build. And it's, I want to finish that. I saw that he worked so hard all his life to prepare the materials for the house of God. So I want to be the one that does what daddy always wanted to do. I want to build a house for the Lord. I think that there was a constant conversation around the palace. So it was on, day, it was on Solomon's mind. It was in Solomon's heart. It wasn't something new. Like... Solomon didn't just wake up one day as king and say, I have a great idea as a king. I'm going to build a house for the Lord. What do you guys think? That's great. I think it was always spoken of. I think it was always there in conversation. I'll give you a perfect example of why I believe this. Here's one example. So here's David and he's older in age. He's about to pass the torch to his son Solomon. And David did it well. David did passing the torch well. Handing it over the kingdom to his son. So what does David do? He calls all his cabinet members of a term that we're familiar with here. He calls all the high officials as well as his very own son, all his sons, but he calls Solomon to be here for, I guess what we would call in today's terms, a press conference. When they say the president is going to have a very important press conference at 4 p.m. and everyone turns on their TVs and their phones and all that to see what it is that a world leader is going to say at a certain time. So David calls this press, con press conference. And all the who of who's is there. All the mighty men of David are there. His very own sons and yet the future king is standing before his father. And David begins to instruct to all of them, specifically to Solomon, what it's going to look like. And he instructs them to build the temple. Let's read through this text just so you can get a feel for the heart and what's behind all of this. First Chronicles chapter 28 verse 1. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write that. If you have eyes to see, look up on the screen and you can read with us. Amen? Verse 1 says this. So David summoned all the officials of Israel to Jerusalem. The leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the army divisions, the other generals, the captains, the overseers of the royal property, the livestock, the palace officials, the mighty men, and all other brave warriors in the kingdom. Verse 2, David rose to his feet and he said, My brothers, my people, it was my desire to build a temple where the ark of the Lord's covenant, God's footstool, could rest permanently. Look what he says next. I actually underlined this and bolded this in my notes. He says, I made the necessary preparations for building it. See that? I made the necessary preparations for building it. Verse 3, but God said to me, you must not build a temple to honor my name. For you are a warrior and you've shed so much blood. Verse 4, yet the Lord, the God of Israel, has chosen me among my father's family. My father's family to be king, to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen the tribe of Judah, he says. He's chosen the tribe of Judah. He chose my father's family from among my father's sons. The Lord was pleased to make me king over all Israel. What a speech. What a press conference. You can hear people clapping after every sentence. 
Verse 5. And from among my sons, for the Lord has given me many. Look what he says. He chose Solomon. And what is Solomon chosen to do? To succeed me on the throne, he says. To succeed me on the throne of Israel and to rule over the Lord's kingdom. He chose him. He said to me, your son Solomon would build my temple and its courtyards for I have chosen him as my son and I will be his father. How many of you are enjoying this speech already? So you see he's laying it out. When I die, there better be no surprises here. When I go, there better not be any uproar and there better be nothing going fishy around here. This is what needs to happen. I'm setting it straight. He's not done speaking though. Verse 7, he says this. It's speaking about Solomon still. Now he's going to talk to Solomon. Now this is why I like to pause for a moment. Because he's speaking to the crowds, but I believe that starting in verse 7, going to verse 8, he pauses there and he looks now at Solomon. And now he's having eye-to-eye contact. And this is what he starts to say. He says, if he continues to obey my commands and regulations as he does now, I'll make his kingdom last forever. So now, and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Can you see what's happening? He's talking to the masses, and now he calls his son forward, and he's speaking directly to his son Solomon. And he says this, be careful. Everyone say, be careful. Yeah. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. Look at verse 9. Solomon, my son. Are you listening to me? Solomon's very 20 years old. Adam. Solomon, my son. Learn to know the God of your ancestors. How? Intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart, a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. And if you seek him, you will find him. If you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. Verse 10, so important. David looks at Solomon and says, so take it seriously. The Lord has chosen you to Build, to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong. Do the work. But take it seriously. Take it seriously. The the English standard says it this way. Be careful now. (laughs) Be careful now that the Lord has chosen you. The ESV says. Take it seriously. So fast forward some time. And now we get into Solomon's kingship and Solomon comes to reign and he's in his early 20s and he begins to start the project and he says, let's build, let's build the house of the Lord. We read all through the early chapters of 1 Kings that as it comes to an end, the building, as he finishes up seven years, seven years of building God's temple, He's around 31, 32 years old now. This is what happens. And this is what Solomon and God, and here's the interaction. I think the text is beautiful in itself. There's nothing that I could take away or add from it. I'd be doing a crime to the word of God. Amen? So let's let the word of God be the word of God. Watch what it says. 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Flow with me. Scripture is beautiful. Fall in love with it. If you haven't, take it out to dinner one day. Take, um, all right. Get romantic with the word. It's good for you. Here it is. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 1. It says, so Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord. Remember everything David told him? Now Solomon finishes building it. As well as his royal palace. He completed everything that he planned to do. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. As he had done before. And the Lord said to him, I've heard your prayer and I've heard your petition. I've set this temple apart to be holy. This place that you've built where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. How many of you could say amen? Amen. So good so far. Verse 4, as for you, thank you for the, God's like, thanks for the house. Didn't ask for it. Never commanded you to do it. As your father David, he had this thing ticking in his heart all the time. So build me a house. I was okay at the tent. 
But thank you for the house. If you don't know what I mean, you have to listen to last week's message. I was fine in the tent, but the crib looks nice. Thank you for the house. Thank you for the house. The house looks nice. But then he did. God is so good. He takes his eyes off the house for a moment. And he says, as for you. I, I like that. He's like, I'm going to take my eyes off this structure. But I'm going to put about what I really care about. As for you. I want to talk to the person. I get the building. I'll honor the building. I'll show up in the building. Come and worship me in the building. Come and praise me in the building. But if you're not there, what good is any of it? As for you. I like that. God is smart. If you will follow me with integrity and godliness, as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, regulations, I, look at this, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I have made the promise to your father David. One of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. As for you. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the commandments and decrees that I've given you, and if you serve and you worship other gods, remember what I told you earlier? I, I like that God is spending more time speaking about the people. You and your people, you and the, the, the generations that come after you, if you guys, if not, your temple. Thank you for the house, but your temple. I love that he spends more time speaking to the heart of Solomon than he does about the heart of the temple. Are you seeing the heart of God here? If you serve and you worship other gods, verse 7, then, everyone say then. Yeah, because you're like, oh, what are you going to say? Well, this is what I'll do. I'll uproot Israel from the land that I've given them, and he does. And I'll reject this temple that I've made holy to honor my name. And he did. You know, you could go to Israel today. You could, or you could take the next trip with us whenever we go again. And you could go deep down. You'll see Herod's temple destroyed. As the Lord said, this temple will fall. Jesus said that while he was on earth. And you will also see Solomon's temple, pieces of it, way beneath, destroyed as well. Why? Because the Lord told them and warned them, I'm going to destroy it if things are done wrong. You will see both those temples that were built by the Lord, destroyed. They're still there in rubble. Now watch what he says. I will reject this temple that I, everyone say I, not Solomon. Now the Lord switches the wordage that I have made holy. You build me the temple, but I have made it holy. See that? To honor my name, I'll make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, thanks for the house. All who pass by will be appalled and will gasp in horror. They will say, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? I've been to Israel and I've gone, why has the Lord done such terrible things to this temple? We've seen the temple of the Lord in person, if you've gone with us, destroyed. And he tells Solomon, people will get, this temple is beautiful, it's impressive now, but if you don't, if you're not obedient, if you don't live to honor me, people will gasp at it and see it in its destruction. Verse 9, and the answer will be, as people abandon the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt, they worshipped other gods instead and bowed to them. That is why the Lord has brought all these disasters on them. I feel like the word of God just preached itself. It's almost a shame to come and give a sermon after reading all these things. Because it's like, what can I... I you just got revelations and you're getting stuff in your mind right now because of how powerful those text, that text is. But I want you to get this, get an idea. Let, let, I'll tell you what, let's take a little turn here. Let's talk about Solomon's temple for a moment. How much did this temple cost? Because the Lord, in, okay, let, you built something, right? And then you're having a conversation with the Lord, and the Lord's like, hey, that was impressive. If the Lord says something's impressive, for me, it interests me. Because the Lord saw it and says, wow, that was nice. 
mind you, here's the creator of the world who holds the whole universe in the span of his fingers. I mean, the detail of our God, and he looks upon man's achievements. He says, that was good. And it's like, just the fact that he would say it was good, impressive. I want to hear what it's made of. So the cost of the temple, they say that today, if you would want to construct Solomon's temple today, if he were to construct it today, just the construction alone, construction, would be about $30 million. Just the construction. But if you count it as we read through scripture, all the gold, as you saw in the video, that was layered, and the furniture, the furniture that was made of gold and all that, if you counted all the gold, if you counted all the furniture, if you counted everything, the altars and all that, if you counted everything, not just the, the workers building, the construction of the building, but if you counted everything that is to build the temple in its fullness, that cost would be somewhere about, ready for this? Today, $194,404,500,000. I think that's an impressive building. Can you imagine walking by a building and saying, hey, that building cost $195 billion. What? How is that? How does that even exist? That's how much Solomon's temple would cost today. $100, if we round it off, and $95, $194 billion. You're not hearing it wrong. Billion dollars. If he could build that in seven years, and it took him 20 years in a hole to build his palace and his temple, imagine how much more it costs to build his palace. Imagine all his building projects, the billions. Maybe he had trillions of dollars in just building. So all I could think of is how rich and powerful was Solomon. I think we could come to this conclusion, and Scripture teaches that Solomon was a wealthy man, a very powerful man, the wealthiest man to live. His, I, I like this. His father's preparation benefited him. Amen? Solomon was a wealthy man. In today's day, if you were to calculate all of Sol Solomon's earnings and all of his stuff, his net worth today, if he was living today, would be somewhere around $2 trillion. I would say that's pretty good for a king. $2 trillion? What are you? What kind of billionaire are you? I'm not a billionaire. I'm a two-time trillionaire. I'm a trillionaire. It says in 1 Kings 10, 14 and 15, look at this, like this, just so you get an idea. It says, each year, Solomon will receive about 25 tons of gold. <laughs> like, just give me one brick of gold, a pound of gold. I'll invest in it. Like, I think I know what to do with it. Just give me the brick of gold. No, 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue he received from the merchants and the traders and all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. So how much was this 25 tons of gold? This was about, eh, just for fun. Let's just give him $2 billion. About $2 billion. Not too bad. No wonder he was a two-time. <laughs> it was worth $2 trillion. I, I thought this was interesting. So there was a very rich man in Brazil, and he says he was moved by King Solomon's temple. And I think he built somewhat like of a, of a I don't know if it's a hotel. I forgot what the building is. Forgive me for not knowing that as I'm going to present it to you. But I want you to see this picture. A Brazilian billionaire <clears throat> took it upon himself to do this, to take $300 million and build a replica. Do you have it there for me? Look at this. To build somewhat of a replica and to call it Solomon's Temple. In Brazil. At least I could walk you by that one and say, hey, that building cost $300 million. Okay? But he still falls short to Solomon's 100 and what was it? 90? Oh, no. 45? 95? It's ridiculous. 100 and something billion dollars. Think about this for a moment. I mean, I, you look at that. I mean, take a trip to Brazil. Go visit it if you want. Let me know if it's good. But you, you listen to Solomon, and you can take that off. I mean, unless you want to leave it there. I mean, I, it's a beautiful building. What did you say? It's huge. You could tell. It costs some other people who are next to it. 
But you, when you think of Solomon's temple and you think about this billionaire <clears throat> building this <clears throat> somewhat of a replica of Solomon's temple, and I could ask this question, impressive, huh? It's definitely impressive to, to build a building during Solomon's time that came up to $195 billion, a man who was worth around $2 trillion. Pretty impressive. Well, as I say pretty impressive, I'll dare to say that the Lord, though, the Lord is not impressed at all. You know what? Put that billionaire's temple back up there again. $330 million. The Lord is not impressed at all with this $330 million project. Or, so he just says, Solomon, it's impressive. Hey, it's impressive, but I'm not. I'm not. I mean, earth is my footstool. <laughs> none, none of this stuff moves me. It's not like, so I'll dare to say that none of it, the glamour of it in itself was not what impressed the Lord at all. Because I would say rather, instead of all of this, this is like the Lord doesn't, like if this was the Lord's throne and the billionaire, I know it's a horrible throne to picture the Lord on, but the billionaire finishes building his tent. I don't think the Lord got up and goes, whoa, did you see what the billionaire from Brazil just built? I don't think he got him up from his throne. Like, I think the Lord was like, Nah, that was good for being a billionaire. Like, I don't, I don't know. Because rather than be impressed by the glamour of temples, I believe that he is interested, as we see through text, as we see through his heart, Old and New Testament, he is interested in the holiness and the consecration of the temple. What good is your fancy temple if it's not set apart and if it's not consecrated and the glory of the Lord does not rest in it. It's just a building that one day will collapse and crumble and people will gasp and say, why has it happened to that building? Because my presence is not there. What does that mean? Every building that is built without the presence of the Lord living in it, it has the ability to crumble and fall quickly. And people will gasp and say, but what happened to that person? The presence of the Lord was not in that house. Why did that person have such a downfall? Why did that person be put to such shame? Why did that person... Well, because they projected to be something that inside had no presence. They had a structure, but not a presence. They fancied and made a glamorous temple, but it wasn't consecrated and set apart. In 1 Kings 9-7, we read it together, but I'll repeat it. The Lord says, yes, I'll uproot Israel from the land that I've given. But listen to what he says next. He says, I will reject the temple that I have made holy. Does everyone see that? Here's the preaching. All, everything that I said was the introduction. I'm about to preach now. He says, everything now. Everything that is here. I'll reject all of this stuff. I'll reject the temple that I've made holy to honor my name. You start to think about what, what the Lord is saying here. You start to think about the heart of God. And, and you could almost sense, right? Oh, it's glamorous. But I'm not moved in that. I'm not moved in that. Nor ever come to believe, to think this, that that, that is what is needed to show that I am there. Many people think they need to build something to then say, you see, God is with us. Building something doesn't mean that God is with you if it's not the house that God is building himself. So, so the Lord is saying, oh, it's glamorous, but don't ever think that that's what I need because glamour doesn't define me. Glory does and holiness is what defines me. So I say this and I actually wrote this in my notes because I wanted to speak directly to you because I feel... In these weeks and in these last two weeks, it's a, it's a very specific word that the Lord is speaking to our church. And you'll see why in a couple of weeks from now, we're going to give an announcement on the 27th of March that we want you and everyone that you could bring to be here. Because it's our next phase and what we're going to be doing as a church in our vision and what we're doing for 2022. So we don't want you to miss it. But I feel like as we give that, in, that announcement on the 27th and as we're sharing these messages of the house that God builds... I believe that it's, specific, it's a specific word that the Lord is speaking to us, to our leadership, to our house. 
And I wrote this in my notes. I wrote nest because I wanted to talk to the nest family. That the Lord will never say of us or of anything that we would ever do or anything that we would ever build. Oh, it's glamorous, but it's not glorious. What a shame that that would be. To build a glamorous family, but there's no glory in it. To build a glamorous ministry, but there's no glory in it. To build and to do anything that is of glamour, but the glory of the Lord is not found in it. The Lord tells Solomon that he will reject the temple that he, the Lord, has made holy. That he, the Lord, has consecrated for his name. That I have made holy. Solomon worked seven years, 1 Kings tells us this in chapter 6, 38, to build this temple. And Solomon builds it with such detail, with such reverence. But yet, when the Lord comes to speak to him a second time, the Lord speaks to a deep place of Solomon's heart. And I start to say, why would God be so specific? I think that as God was giving instructions, he was also warning him. Because I believe that the Lord was already seeing warning signs in Solomon's heart. I said this in the huddle. I said, I wasn't sure if I was going to say it in church, but I'll say it. It took him 20 years to build the temple and his house. So do the math. What did he spend more time building? He spent more time building his own palace, Solomon, than he did God's house. God is like, ah, it's just a house. I don't really care about that. But, but still, it just shows you that maybe there was already something going on in Solomon's heart. So the Lord is, is telling Solomon this stuff like, hey, listen, seven years you've worked with detail and reverence and many more years on your own palace. But as I read this, it shows us that man, in his best effort, will always fall short to do what only God is able to do. We can be faithful, we can be obedient, but God and only God in his goodness is the one who works in us sanctification consecration, and holiness. That's it. Like, I can't build something and say, woof, come, I'll have a special this. Look how awesome this powerful is going to be. Like, you know, the person that says, I have an anointed word, and, and, I, and, and I, I, you don't have an anointed anything. God has an anointed word through you. <laughs> you know, I was telling them, some of my friends here, and I won't give no names because I don't want to put no, no, you know what? I'm not going to do that. All right. Thank you, Lord. It's just people, you know. They say things and they advertise certain things. And you're like, no. All right. We surrender. We submit ourselves to him. That's what our call is. And then as we surrender, we submit. He then begins to separate us into holiness. Because we can give an appearance and, and let, let's, put that, let's put that magnificent $300 million structure up. I just got text that it's a, a Pentecostal church I heard. Is it? Yeah, awesome. Hallelujah. Imagine walking into that thing every Sunday. <laughs> How many of you want to build one of those things here? Imagine that thing highly. The temple of Ness unto the Lord. My goodness. We could give an appearance of, just leave it up there. I'm not, I mean, maybe they're a great church. He's a great pastor. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not bashing that at all. Just the idea. That we could give the appearance of godliness, beauty, splendor with your life. But we know that scripture teaches us that we cannot fabricate true godliness and holiness. Amen? We could build beautiful stuff. We could present a beautiful thing. Like when you come in and we say, how's everything? My God, I am so good. I am so well. I am so favored. But the works that you display are works of ungodliness. Maybe you've spoken to someone, you've done life with someone, and they're like, oh, man, everything's good and powerful and Victoria, I'm so good. But their works and their life, you live with them. Like, But it's ungodly. So what is it? It's a display. But how can you fake the holiness and the righteousness of God? Man can plan to build. But if God is not the builder of that house, come on, church, it is useless and it is all in vain. Hmm. Psalm 127 is credited to be Solomon's writing. 
And I want you to see Solomon, what he says, because he would know something about this. He says, unless the builder, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Wow. You know, I started to study this a little bit. I didn't want to get so into it because I was going to get off track easily. I saw me going off track. It's not too hard for me to do. But I learned that the house here being built can possibly be speaking of a family. Signifying the raising of a family because of the verses uh, that proceed from this. But regardless, Solomon would know and, would co- and it would come to make sense in the life of Solomon and in the scripture. That no house built is successful without God. You should write that in your notes. No house being built is successful without God. One preacher says this, and I'm going to quote him. He says, no house building is successful which leaves God out of account. How have we seen men build only houses with care and at great cost, only to see them crumble to pieces because God was forgotten? So this is, and we are, called to be the house that God builds. How many of you could say amen? Amen. Let me share some scriptures to you for a moment. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, as we get out of the text of Chronicles and stuff, I want to get to a very important house, the house that God wants to build. I think temples and buildings are good as that's our aim and that's our focus. And I think it's a beautiful thing for our family, for our children. But I think all of that is possible when all of this is well first. The house that the Lord wants to build starts with us, every single one of us individually. How many of you can say, yeah? So Timothy, Paul, writes this. In verse 20, it says, Now, in a great house... Remember that song, Tito, that we used to sing in CYM? It's a big, big house where we could play football. It's a big, big house. Yeah, I don't know the rest of it. It's DC Talk or something like that? Yeah. God, that song was great. We should play that song. No, we should. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there's of wood and clay, and there's some of honorable and some of dishonorable. Honorable use and some of dishonorable use. Look at verse 21. Therefore, if anyone, so there's a, there's a beautiful house. Some, some of it is honorable, some of it is dishonorable. So because there is dishonorable in the house, there has to be a therefore. Therefore, because there's dishonorable. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. He will be set apart as holy. He will be useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Are you with me? God's like, I'm building a house. It's a big, big house. It's a beautiful house. It's a wonderful house. Come on, put the billionaire's house. Put the Pentecostal church's house on. It's a nice house. I'm building a house. It's coming up. It's worth so much. It takes a long time to transmit through the... There it is. I'm building a house. And in the house, there's honorable and dishonorable. But cleanse yourself and you'll be a vessel of honor. And you'll be ready for every good work. I'm building something. I'm doing something in you. He's not done only in 2 Timothy. But in 1 Corinthians 3.9, we know that Paul in his penmanship, what else does he write? He says, for we are all God's fellow workers. You know what he says after that? Not only are we God's fellow workers, but you are God's field. Not only are you God's field, but you are God's building. When he says this, he's not speaking to a building at all. He's speaking to human beings and he's telling them you are the building of God. He's building a beautiful house. And you are that house. You're the building of God. It goes to speak on that. That we are the house. Our house, what is it built on? If you continue to read, uh, 
through 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's so good. 1 Corinthians, actually do that for homework. It's so good. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks on what the house is built on exactly. And, it, and, and whatever it's built on, it's important. Why? Because Paul goes on to say this. I'm paraphrasing some of the text around 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Because it's important in what your house is built on because your house will be tested and revealed by fire. And if one endures the fire, he receives a reward. So whatever your house is built on, your house that I'm building, this beautiful home that I want to establish and I want to live in and reign in and sit on the throne of forever, that house, there's going to be fire that's going to try to burn it down. But when the fire ceases, it's going to stand and it's going to prove that its reward is found in the master builder whose name is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. It's me. I'm building a house. And that's what he's saying. That's what he's doing. He's building something. He continues to tell us, do you not know in verse 16 in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians that you are the temple of God, the spirit of God dwells in you, and if anyone, everyone say anyone, doesn't matter who they are, if you kiss the ring and the ground that they walk on, if anyone defiles the temple of God, he will destroy him. For the temple of God cannot be defiled, church. The temple of God is holy, which you are that temple. Are you a holy temple or are you a defiled temple? He's not done. Scripture is not done with us. In 1 Peter 2.5, Peter writes this. You also, everyone say me also. You're living stones. You're being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? You're being built up into a spiritual house. Do you know that that's the verse that we started our church with 14 years ago? That's the verse I preached on. 14 years ago in a backyard, I said, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And I said this, 14 years ago, I said, we're a house that will be built up as a spiritual house. Consecrated. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I preached on that 14 years ago in the backyard. 14 years later, what are you? We're a house that is still being built up, a spiritual house. Amen. I don't want to, I could stop, I could, I could continue here, but we'll continue on this next week. On this right here where we're at. We'll continue on some of that stuff next week, I believe, in, in this theme in which the Lord is speaking to us. And we're preparing for this. I told you that on the 27th, a special announcement that's going to deal with all that the Lord has been speaking about, the Lord uh, building a house for us. But I pray for this. If I could just get your attention. Maybe you, I lost you 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Maybe I lost you when I said hello. <laughs> but if I could just get your attention for one more minute. I'm wrapping this up. I pray that you are listening and that you open up your heart to what we're about to announce in a couple weeks. What we want to present to you, amen? I want you to start saying, okay, I'm going to come on that 27th. And I'm going to come prayed up because when you announce it, I don't want to know already what it is because when you announce it, I want to see what the Lord is going to tell me. And speak to me in regards to this nest house. And I think that where we're at is a beautiful place. I think the Lord is speaking if I can say in a prophetic way over this house that this is the house that he builds and this is the house that he will continue to build. Amen? But are we being faithful with the preparations for that in which God wants to make holy and that in which God wants to build for himself? Amen? So this is what I think we should start at in everything that I just preached and everything that the Lord just shared to us. Maybe there's someone here that needs the Lord to cleanse. To cleanse their house. To cleanse you. You are the house that he longs to dwell in. You are the house that he longs to make his goodness known in. 
Do you remember last week when I said, oh, but maybe there's someone here that says, well, not my house. My house is very dirty. My house is, um, it looks like it's ransacked. It's so, so many things are out of order in my house. Maybe you're hearing like, well, my house is filthy. My house, and house I, I just need to make some things right. I said last week, you know, this, sometimes I speak to people and they're like, ah, I don't go to church because I just got to, I got I to gotta make things right before I get to God. And you're like, no. You get to God so he can make things right. Sometimes, you know, people, have, you know how many times I've, I've been, that's, said, that's been said to me? I'll give my life to the Lord, but first I have to, I have to give all these, I have to make all these things right. No, let the Lord make them right. And maybe that's you. David, David had an interesting house. And the Lord was dealing with him. He repented. He had a heart after God. And I'm not, um, I want to make sure I clear that, I clear the air, because I'm not trying to say like, oh, it was okay for David to commit adultery. And it was okay for David to murder. And it was okay for David to, um, to lie and to scheme. It, it was okay for David to do all that. Because at the end, I mean, he's really after God's heart. That's just justifying. The Lord had to deal with David's sin. David had to deal with his own sin. So don't, don't skip those parts of Scripture either. And recognize that there's consequences for decisions that we make in our lives does not mean that God's grace will be lifted from you. Does not mean that God's forgiveness cannot fall on you. Cannot mean that God will not still keep, will not continue to lead you and the Holy Spirit will not continue to fill you. That's not what that means. It just means now, well, you have to walk through some things too now with him being present in all of it. But if... If David being a murderer, liar, fornicator, killer, murderer, thief, thief, everything he was, I mean, I think he committed in one day, I think he committed like every single sin. It just went, it just went in one story. And yet God could do something great and says, from you will come many homes. From you will come a great dynasty. From you will come the one, my own son, who will be called the son of David. I will allow him to call him the son of David. He'll come from you. I said, there is no one here whose story is over God. Every single one of your stories, every single one of your homes is the exact house that the Lord wants to dwell in and establish his goodness, even with your story in it. Because when he begins to establish and clean it, cleans it out, he will then begin to use the filth and the disorder to bring glory and order. And it would ultimately not, no longer bring shame to you. But now it will begin to bring honor and glory to him. How does someone go from a place of shame to honor? It goes from the Lord taking over their house. And that which has kept them in shame for so long now becomes an instrument, a weapon to say, I no longer shamed by this thing. I can now use it because God is pleased with me. It's part of my story. And I'm going to wave the flag to give God the glory and the honor. And that's how the Lord could be honored again. Submit, surrender, and let him take over. And let him consecrate. And let him sanctify. And let him holify. It's not a word I tricked you. It should be a word. That house. How many of you, before we end, maybe you just need to be cleansed. <clears throat> Second Timothy 2.21, I repeat it. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, then he'll be a vessel, she'll be a vessel for honorable use. She'll be set apart, he'll be set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work. Again, in 1 Chronicles 29.10, he says, so, 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 so take it seriously. That he, is, he says, so be careful now. The Lord, come on church, has chosen you. Be careful now. Take it seriously now. 
I'll wait. No, no, now. For the Lord has chosen you to build a temple, to build a house. Be strong. Come on, do the work. How many of you can say amen? Do you know that Jesus longs, he longs to become one with us? One. His very own words, and after I'm done reading this, you could stand. He says, I am the vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine. This is John 15. And he prunes the branch that does not bear fruit, that it will produce even more. You've already been pruned, purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain, I will, I, I, I will be in them, will, much, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He's repeating the same things that the Lord is telling Solomon in 1 Chronicles 29. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like useless, useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, my words remain in you. You may ask for what you want. It will be granted. You produce much fruit. You are true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Lord, you're building a house, and this is the house in which you build. It's not a house that is, has this show or presentation of glamour, but yet it's not rooted in any glory or any presence and holiness. You're building a house within every single one of us that is holy. And you look at Solomon as you also looked at his father David and you says, you know, I know you've wanted to build me a house, but I've never commanded anyone to build me a house and I've never pushed you to build me a house, but you're not the one that's going to build. And then Solomon builds it and he says, ah, that's impressive, but as for you. And Lord, all throughout this scripture, so many times we could put our awe on the material things like the temple of Solomon, like the gold that belonged to David. But the reality is, Lord, the temple fell. The gold was melted and taken and used by other nations. And what good was any of it? In the long run, none of it was good. Because the Lord was not in it any longer. So Lord, I don't want to just be a building that is built with gold and that fire can melt. Wood that a hammer could break open. I want to be a house in which your presence could live and dwell in me and set me apart and consecrate me and make me holy. So when waters come to flood, so when fires come to burn, Nothing can quench. The house stands because the presence of the Lord is alive in us. We make it through trials and through struggles. Our house continues to live through every storm because the presence of the Lord is well in us. How many of you could say amen? So if there's anyone here that needs a cleansing, and you just need to come before the presence of the Lord. Right there where you are, can you just raise your hand and say, Lord, I need you to cleanse me. Amen. I see a few hands. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Amen. I see a few hands. If you have, as you have your hands raised, I want you to just to pray right there to the Lord. And make that prayer personal. Lord, with my hands raised, with my heart opened, here is your house. Maybe I've built upon it at times wrong. Maybe I've done things that are not fitting. Maybe I've done things that, yeah, they could be impressive to others. But I'm not fooling you, God. So here I am with open arms and an open heart. And I say, Lord, come and make this man, come and make this woman holy. Come and consecrate me. 
I submit to you, to your commands, to your ways. I surrender and submit to your word. I fall at your feet. Make this house a holy house, a consecrated house, that it would give you honor and glory, that no one would ever be able to walk before me and say and gasp, look what has happened to him. It's because the Lord is no longer with him. Lord, that you would remain with me. And that I would and that we would be pillars. That we would be lighthouses. That we would be the house of the Lord in our jobs, in our markets, in our communities, within this gathering, this family. That we would be set apart, holy and consecrated. Every single one of us. That we would be the house that God builds. And that as we come together, we're richer and we're better and we're greater. Because each one of us together, well, privately and personally, is the house that God builds. And together, when we gather, we come in unison, in the same song, with the same vision and the same desire. Here we are, the house that God builds for your glory and honor. Be magnified, be lovely, sanctify, consecrate. Make this holy. Lord, I pray that over my brothers, I pray that over my sisters, that we would be a holy house, giving you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Come on. Can we all say amen? Come on, give God some praise. He's so worthy.